Thanks, ladies. That was a wonderful song. What, what great truth. And you know what's really cool is to have <clears throat> the singers have a life behind their words. And it's not just good music. It's people that want to honor and uplift the Lord in their life. So thank you, ladies. That was, that was wonderful. That was absolutely wonderful. All of, the, uh, all of the music this morning has been... It's just been perfect to bring our attention to this God who is good. The special earlier, the choir special that God is good and uplifting the Lord, even what Brother Nick said in the, in the offering, that God is good. We have a wonderful God who is so good and loves us <clears throat> as he does. You couldn't... You, you couldn't manufacture the unity in a service like this according to the message of uh, the sermon here today. Um, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11. We'll just look at that one verse here and then we'll go back and, and put it together in the chapter. But Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11, God speaking to his people, he says, <clears throat> for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God's thoughts to us are thoughts of peace, and that's what the message is about, is our God who loves us, I mean truly loves us, and he wants us to enjoy. And I just, I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord for... <coughs> the subject here, but I thank the Lord for the God behind that, that I've experienced that. I've experienced his goodness to me. His amazing care for me. Thoughts of peace. Lord, thank you so much for this, your word. I pray that you'd <clears throat> help us as, Lord, I try to get across the, the uh, thoughts that you have laid upon my heart for these, your people, and for me, Lord, your word, I pray that you'd help us to, to see it in clarity, understand the context, the uh, setting around this passage of scripture, but then also how it applies to us. Lord, we thank you for being such a great God. Great is thy faithfulness. A God who is merciful and strong and mighty and perfect. We just heard song just a moment ago, and we uplift you, Lord, being such a great God and a, a God that loves us like you do, having thoughts of peace for us, for our good. Lord, thank you. Lord, for that one who doesn't know you personally, Lord, they're missing out. Would you, would you please knock again on their heart's door today and help them to understand it's more than just a religion or knowing about God, it's a relationship. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be introduced to that woman, that man that's here today that needs to be born again. Lord, I pray that you'd speak. Thank you so much, Lord, for taking the time and the, and the patience to deal with me and bringing me into the kingdom. And Lord, I pray that you would do the same for that one that's, that's here that's never experienced that. Maybe they've heard about your goodness, but they don't believe it. Lord, I pray that today you would bring faith to these truths in their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would just help us, help us to see some things today that would 
make a difference in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Going back into this chapter, in Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's go back to verse number 4. And we'll pick it up from there, from verse number 4. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Setting, of course, is in chastisement. God is, is uh, bringing down judgment upon his people for their acts and for their idolatry and for their moving away from him and for, the, for their not believing him and not following him, not obeying. And so finally it came to the place to where judgment had to come and so chastisement was upon them and so he was sending them into captivity. Verse 5. This is what he says. This is the, the instruction <clears throat> that he gives for these people facing chastisement. Okay, now, by the way, every time you read in the Word of God what's going on there, you can, this is what happened and this is who was due and all that. Guy. But have you ever been in chastisement? Has the Lord ever had to, to discipline you as a believer? Lots and lots for me. <laughs> Excuse me. But here, here he, he says, for these going into chastisement, pay attention. I'm going to give you some advice here. Verse 5. <clears throat> Build ye houses and dwell in them. Now he's talking about in Babylon. They're in Jerusalem and in Israel. They're, they're at peace. They got the safety and security. And God is destroying all of that. He's bringing down the hammer. Taking them into captivity. They're going to be slaves in a, in a foreign land, uh, foreign language, customs, uh, pulled away from, from their freedom and, and be in slavery. He says, this is what you do in that, in that land that I, I send you to, verse 5. Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that ye may be increased there and not diminished. <clears throat> he says, you're going to go there and I want you to prosper in this land. Verse 7. And seek the peace of the city whither I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it. This is for Babylon, for the places that they're at, for the government that they're uh, assimilated into. He says, you pray for it, pray for that land. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviner, diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely, Unto you in the name in my name, I have not sent them, saith the Lord. Okay, so this is what's going on, and you'd have to read the entire uh, few chapters ahead and see what's taking place. Jeremiah was God's prophet; he was telling the people, "This is what God says: You're going to be cast into this place, and you're going to be taken here, and and it's going to be chastisement of the Lord." And then you had those that did not hear from God. They'd get behind a pulpit, they'd gather a crowd, and they'd say, thus saith the Lord. God never spoke to them. They didn't have a message from God. This was not God's heart. This was not God's idea. 
and they, they prophesied falsely. They're false prophets, if you would. Uh, they, were, they were saying, God said this, or God's will for you is this, and it wasn't that at all. And what they were saying was, don't allow the Babylonians to come and take, fight them. Stay here. Uh, 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 do all that you can to, to not be carried into captivity. And God says, no, no, no. My people, pay attention. You're going to be going through the woodshed here. I'm bringing you into captivity. Don't fight it. If you fight it, and God, uh, like I say, you'd have to you know, go back and take a look at the, the context here. God already told them, if you fight it, you're going to lose. You're going to be destroyed. You, you'll be scattered. You, there, there's gonna, you're going to be uh, lying on the, on the grounds of those battlefields as dung. He says, listen, don't do that. Don't fight it. Allow yourself to be uh, taken captive into Babylon, which is a really a weird kind of a message, contrary to patriotism, don't you think? Contrary to nationalism. Hey, this is our country. This is our land. Let's fight for it. But you know what? They, God said, no. If you try to fight, if you try to oppose what I'm doing here in my chastisement, you're going to be destroyed. And they were false prophets that were saying, I've dreamed and God said this and God said that. God did not say any of that stuff. God made it clear. They're false prophets. They're not giving you my word. They're not telling you what I want you to know. They're saying, God said, and that's not what I said. Okay, so in verse 9 again, they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. Verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. So it's going to be chastisement, but it's going to be measured. And it's going to be precise. It's going to be exactly what I ordered. For 70 years, you're going to be in that, in that uh, an entire generation is going to live in Babylon. You're going to be there for 70 years, and we'll find out why later. It's, it's an exact number that God gave them, 70 years. But then I'm going to cause you to return to this place, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. <clears throat> See, God foretold of this chastisement, this precise, this exact punishment of 70 years of captivity. He foretold of those 70 year, that 70-year captivity in direct response to their disobedience in ignoring the, the required Sabbaths. When he sent them into the land, he says, this is what you do, and this is how you honor me. Uh, you work six days, and you rest the seventh. And he says, and you, by the way, I've given you an example. I worked six days in creation, and I rested the seventh. It makes no, no sense at all, by the way, folks, to say there's six eons of time or six, you know, no, 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 no. That means that, you know, our work week should be millions and millions and millions of years. <laughs> no, he says, I, this is what I did, and I want you to do this. One of the Ten Commandments was, you know, uh, keep the Sabbath day because I worked six days, rested the seventh. This is what you do. You work six days, and you rest the seventh. As a matter of fact, the land that you're going to farm, <clears throat> I want you to farm it six years. And on the seventh year, you lay fallow. You do not farm. You don't plant and you don't uh, sow. You don't 
harvest on those fields. Matter of fact, I'm going to take care of you. And God says, and he thought of all things, he says, listen, on the sixth year, I'm going to give you such a bumper crop that it's going to last the seventh year and into the eighth year until harvest comes on the, on the end of the eighth year. And he says, so this is what you do. You, lay, you don't farm the, 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 uh, uh, the land on the seventh year. You, you let it lay uh, fallow or, or uh, free. Okay, so, so what he did was he says, now every, uh, every seventh year, you, you don't farm the land. But you know what? They were good Jews, businessmen. They were very uh, uh, keen on profit, on making money, like many Jews are today. I mean, that's, you know, you, you put a Jew anywhere, boom, they can make money. I'm telling you, they just seem to be that way. You say, uh, preacher, is that racist? No, that's, that's something that I would like to have as, as far as a characteristic, you know? I know some people like that. We've had some on staff before. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you put them anywhere, they're going to be a million, millionaire within, you know, five or ten years. Well, and, and, and the Jews were very uh, aware of business principles, of profit, margin, and loss. And they were thinking, well, you know what? We could actually make more, we could be more profitable, we could head up, get ahead quicker if we didn't let the land lay fallow on the seventh year, and we just work through the seventh year. Why do we need to do that? Well, see, God, God commanded it. That's why. Whether or not they could figure it out, it, that's not the point. God says, obey me, leave the, the, the seventh year to, to not be farmed, but they just ignored that. They went on and on and on, year after year after year. For 490 years, they ignored the Sabbaths. Every seventh year, for 490 years, they, they ignored the, uh, the command for God, that God t- told them to, to lay the, the, the land fallow on that seventh year. Well, now it's time the chickens come home to roost. <clears throat> and so... Because of their disobedience and ignoring the Sabbaths that were required in Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse number 19, this is what it says. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill. Notice what God said. They're being punished. They're being chastised here. Why? It's to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. God required them to do this, and it was, it was obedience for them to follow God's instructions, and they didn't. And God says, no, you're going to. Whether you want to or not, you could just ignore that long enough. You can, you can thumb your nose in the face of God long enough. But God said, no, no, it, it, enough is enough. So to fulfill the word of the Lord that God preached to them by Jeremiah and others until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. That's 70 years. 70 years of Sabbaths all in a row. Because of all of the time that they just ignored it, ignored it, and went on, went on. The Israelites ignored the commands of God because way back in Leviticus chapter 25, verse number 1, this is where Lord God instituted these, these uh, uh, commands, these instructions. Leviticus 25, 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, 
Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years shalt thou sow thy field, and six years shalt thou prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year uh, uh, shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed. For it is a year of rest unto the land." And God says, this is what you do to honor me, to obey me. This is, I, com- I command you to do this. <clears throat> See, God promised his care and his providence to his people when they're looking at this and saying, oh, well, I don't know if we could do that. Are you, what are we going to eat? How are we going to make money? How are we going to survive that next year if we don't plow and we don't sow and plow and get a, get a harvest? What are we going to do? Hey, God said, I'm going to take care of you. He promised. He already promised. <laughs> You know, God commands us to be faithful with our finances to him. And I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but it's not like I have all kinds of extra money every month, you know, left over because of, you know, being prosperous and have, I have more money than I know what to do with. Uh, and whose universe are we talking about? You know, is that you? If it is, I need to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> I'd like to borrow something, but anyway, um, it's usually, it's like, man, just, you know, paycheck to paycheck, and, you know, you're just, you know, coming along, and, and so many of us are right there, and, and then God says, no, no, you honor me with the first fruits of your increase, and so he asks for a tithe, and he says, this is what I'm requiring of you, and it's, it's not for him, it's, it's to, for us to honor God and, and recognize everything I have is God's. And so the first fruit that comes along, I turn around, give it back to God, and I say, God, this is yours. Well, how are you going to do it? How are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to, you, you know, uh, if you can't make it with 100%, how are you going to do it with 90%? Or even less than that, if you're going to give, you know, toward the, the house of God and give towards special needs and whatever. How are you going to do that? Well, you know what? I can't figure that out, and I don't know how, but God commands it, and so we're supposed to do that. But here, the people said, okay, work six years and rest a, a, an entire year. How are you going to get along? And you know what? It's, it takes faith. It takes trusting God. It takes just doing what God uh, tells us to do, tells them to do. And then they can trust God and go ahead and do it. But you know what? Uh, no faith. They walk by sight and they're just going to, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're not doing that. They just ignored that, ignored these commands. Very, very clear. Certainly a test of faith in his word. So for the 490 years that they ignored this command, the children of Israel worked the land nonstop. They disregarded his commands. They ignored obedience when it came to observing the Sabbath for the land. Now God was claiming what was his. 70 years of continual fellow ground. The land's going to be desolate for 70 years straight so I could collect my fellow years that it commanded you. See, it didn't matter what they did at this point of their disobedience or even their repentance because they were ignoring, ignoring, they were uh, disobeying, disobeying, they were just, uh, you know, uh, disregarding what God said. They didn't have anything to do with with obeying God or following God. They were just going to do their own thing. They were going to disregard what he promised or what he warned. 
and they're just going to go on and on and on for so long till it came to the point where it's too late. Back to the Second uh, uh, Chronicles passage that we started with in our text. They passed the point of no return. Second Chronicles chapter 36. Let's go back and look at from verse number 11. Zedekiah was one and twenty years old when he began to reign and reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember what, what God said? No, don't rebel. Just follow and just go along and I'm going to take care of you. Don't, but he, he was you know, ignoring that too. Of course, he had a... a, 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 a custom of doing that, of ignoring what God says. So he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 13, who had made him swear by God, but he, look, look what it says, he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. Now, they were being punished by heathen. It was almost like, well, no, my, my problem is with Nebuchadnezzar. Not, my problem is with the Babylonians. No, no, your problem was with God. God was just using these heathen people to chastise you. That was the, the, the wooden spoon. You know, if, if you're uh, bringing your children up in, in the, the nurture and admonition of the Lord and applying proper discipline, you know, when you know, some do it with, you know, my dad did it with a belt, you know. It, it was the strangest thing. He, he had the longest belt in the whole world. It was like he'd whip that thing out and it would go from that wall to that wall. <laughs> My goodness, where'd that thing come from? You know, some people use, you know, uh, some moms use a hairbrush because they're just right there, you know. And we used a wooden spoon in our house. It was just ideal, you know. You get a nice, good, solid wooden spoon and like a little paddle, you know. And some, you know, people use different things. And that was in our house. That's what we used for, for discipline, corporal punishment when our children were, were growing up. I remember my kid uh, uh, in the grocery store, we we came up to, you know, going through this aisle where there's a bunch of wooden spoons. And, and one of my children, hey, Dad, look at that. Wouldn't that be a good wooden spoon? And I know what he's talking about, you know. Wouldn't that be a good spanking stick? And I'm going, kid, we did something wrong. I don't know. You're, you're, you're suggesting the, the paddle, but, you know. <laughs> you know, God uses different, different uh, tools with the, the same end. Here he's using the Babylonians. Babylonians are attacking the Babylonians. And here, uh, it says Zedekiah was, was uh, fighting the Babylonians, and he was stiff-necked against... No, no, but it was stiff-necked and hardened his heart, it says, from turning unto the Lord, the God of Israel. Because it was the Lord that was using this as a chastisement piece. It was the Lord that was using this as judgment upon their sin. Verse 14, moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the, the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord, Lord God of their fathers sent, to, to, uh, uh, sent to them by his messengers rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people in an honest dwelling place. God was trying to get their attention, trying to speak to them, trying to send prophets saying, hey, thus saith the Lord, hey, get right. You don't have to go through this. You don't have to face this. Uh, uh, difficulty if you just repent and you just listen to what God's trying to do but they were pay not paying any attention they stiffed their neck they hardened their heart that says they transgressed 
Look at verse number 16. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. It didn't matter what they did at that point. They went on and on and on and on. And now it was judgment. And then it didn't matter. Oh, please, 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 don't, 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 don't spank me. It didn't matter. It's coming. It is coming. Uh, there was no remedy, no turning back. God was then determined to take that pound of flesh. Seventy full years of captivity was on the docket. <clears throat> and uh, that's where we find ourselves, right here also. We find our, our, ourselves in dealing with the Lord like that, with our nation, with our church, with our walk, our individual, with our family. False prophets then preached a nationalistic message of fighting Babylon, staying in their land, making this thing work. But God would have none of that. God says, no, no, it's like a freight train that's coming. You better get out of the way. If you don't get out of the way, you're going to get cut up to pieces. You have to submit you have to, you know, you can fight this if you want to, but it's not going to do you any good. But man, they were, they were ready to fight. <clears throat> he told them that the hammer is dropping. Accept the chastisement. Be assimilated in Babylon and seek peace and prosperity there till I'll, I allow you to return after the 74 years. Look at Jeremiah 29, verse number 5. He says here, we read this, Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take your wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your, uh, your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there. Listen, even in chastisement, if you accept this, I'm going to help you. I'm going to increase you at that point. And so you're, you're not going to be diminished. And he says in verse 7, And seek the peace of the city, where I've, I've caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof ye shall have peace. You know, in America, we have such a nationalistic outlook. Uh, guilty. I'm a patriot. I, I love the f- folks. I cannot understand when our national anthem is being played to disrespect it. No, no, you stand and you salute because I love this country. I love what it stands for. I love that it's, that it's you know, I'm a patriot. I'm a patriot. You hear about in Chicago how that they uh, determined how that they could uh, uh, fight crime. Every uh, squad car has a, a, a tape of the national anthem, and when they're chasing some criminal, they just play that, and they got to drop to their knee at that point. You know? <laughs> okay. All right, let's go on. <laughs> so you could kind of guess where, what side I fall on this thing, but I understand patriotism. Folks, folks I really do. I understand. I love this country. And, and I want it to be strong. I want it to be strong against the enemies that, that we have and all of that. And it's, it's easy. I think it's easy for us to understand these people in Jerusalem at the time when God says, no, no, you're going to get wiped out. The Babylons are going to come and they're going to take you into captivity. And some who are preaching, this is what God says, stay firm, st- fight against it. No, no, God did not say fight against it. He said, you better go with it. Because it's like a freight train that's coming. You're not going to be able to to fight this. This is my doing. Man, I'd sacrifice everything for my freedom. My life for my freedom. And and that's kind of the way that they understood that. That's their reaction. But 
See, that was exactly what God told them not to do. It's kind of a strange situation. See, they were supposed to pay attention to what God said. And God said, judgment is coming. Hard for them to swallow. Hard for them to just accept that and say, well, Nebuchadnezzar is coming through and he's going to win. What God was saying was accept the woodshed. Now, before we get into what I'd like to say here in the message and focus on, I'd like to say uh, disregarding God has consequences. Whether or not you want to believe it, whether or not you want to accept that this is God's instruction booklet for us, this is God's communication to you and to me. This is exactly what God wants me to know, wants you to know. And you, you could believe it or not believe it. That doesn't matter. Disregarding God and his word and his instruction has consequences. You will hurt going against his word. Nobody tells God, I don't care what you warn or what you promise. Well, you could say that, but it, it doesn't help because every one of us are precisely accountable to God here or there. We're, we're accountable to God. You know, you have a whole lot of people that they just choose not to believe in God. I don't believe in God. I just don't believe in God. I don't think he's there. It's like, you know, closing your eyes and pretending like something that's there is not there. Well, I don't believe in atheists, okay? <laughs> I just don't believe in atheists. So anyway, they're not there. Well, no, they're there. Of course they're there. You know, if you, if you say you don't believe God or don't believe in God, it doesn't matter. We're accountable to God. His commands are for all. Disregarding them brings inevitable consequences. And it didn't matter whether the people accepted Jeremiah's uh, uh, prophecies, what God said, or didn't. They were going to suffer. They were going to face this exactly what God said. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 2 says, For if the word of God spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Did you know that every transgression, every disobedience receives a just recompense of reward? That means everything will be judged. Everything. Here in this life, you you might be appalled at injustices that go on. But you know, it's not going on forever. Every, everything. Everything is properly dealt with. Anyway, we're in that time where there's a lot of false preaching nowadays. There's a lot of people that say, thus saith the Lord. God didn't say that. But, uh, and just like in their time. But what we've got to do is pay attention to what God says. So let's get to the main thoughts of this passage applied to us today. And, and for that, we look at verse number 10. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 10. He says this to them. <clears throat> for thus saith the Lord that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, <clears throat> I will visit you and perform my good word toward you. <clears throat> he calls it his good word. <clears throat> I'll perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Wow. God says, no, no. You might think that I'm against you. And that's what some people are saying. What Jeremiah is saying, that's harsh, that's hate speech, that's terrible. You know, he's, he's painting a God that, you know, 
no, no. God says, you, you get it wrong. You don't understand my thoughts toward you. I want you to prosper. I am in your corner. God's saying, I'm with you there. Don't you understand that, that uh, um, my thoughts are thoughts of peace, not of evil, to bring you to a blessed place, an expected end. So number one, in dealing with this God who is the same God today, number one, God's intention for you and for me, God's intention is for our good. The, the choir just sang that, and folks, it's absolutely true. God is good. And he's good to me. And he's good to you. He provides everything that you need. He thought of it all. God is good to, to give us life, to give us consciousness, to give us a will that we can choose. He honors us in that way. God is good. He is so good. And that's what he says. For thus saith the Lord, verse number 10, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you. Verse 11, he says, they're thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. See, folks, Satan's goal is to separate us from the love of God. You remember in Genesis chapter 3 where God put Adam and Eve in the garden, gave them everything that they needed. There's nothing that they could have thought of. There's nothing that they could have wanted that they did not have. God gave them everything. And Satan came and, and his job was to put a wedge in between God and them. And he started working on Eve. You remember? He, he comes first of all saying, Yea, hath God said. Are you sure that this is what God commanded? Are you sure that you're not embellishing here? Are you sure this is what God said about obeying us? And, and then he goes, uh, You mean you can't eat of every tree of the garden? Wait a minute. They could eat of every tree of the garden. There was just one that God said, No, this is the one that's... That's off limits. And, and Satan came and tried to get Eve thinking that God was not for her. That God really didn't want her best. You mean, you know, he doesn't want you to eat this tree where when you eat this of this fruit, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. You'll be just like God. How about that? He's trying to keep that from you. He's a killjoy. Folks, it's what Satan wants to have uh, he's pushing that right from the very beginning. He's trying to separate you from God and, and his thoughts towards you, his love for you. And he's trying to say he does not want the good for uh, your good. He does not want you to enjoy. He's trying to keep you from something. That's not our God, folks. His thoughts are thoughts of peace. He's in our corner. <clears throat> He's a good God. He's good to you. He loves you. He's a kind and a benevolent heavenly father. Just recently dealt with a couple of parents that their, their heart is breaking. They're absolutely breaking because one of their children, one of their adult children has come to somehow in their memory think of how bad they had it when they were growing up and how awful that this person's parents were to, were to them. And, and they get together and they, they can't hardly have a conversation because 
the child is looking at the parents and, and accusation and, and you did this for, and for that reason and you did that and you, didn't, you, you, you loved someone else more than me and, and you didn't allow me and it was terrible. And they're thinking, wait a minute, no, that, I don't remember that. That's not true. Wait a minute, kiddo, we love you. What are you talking about? And they truly love their, their, their child. But the child is somehow, somehow in the recesses of this person's mind has has this giant wedge between them and their parent. Folks, I don't I don't know of a of a <clears throat> a lament that can be any more pitiful from the heart of these parents who truly, truly love their, their child. It just somehow he's not getting it. They're, they're not understanding that. And I've, I've spoken with the parents, and, and man, their heart breaks because they're saying, we would give our child our lives over and over again. And where this has come up, who knows? Folks, that's about how it is with God and the estranged. That's human beings. They, they, they get this, this feeling like, well, God's not for me. Well, if God was a loving God, then there would, be, there would be no crack babies in the world. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Here you have people that go contrary to God, that uh, make choices in their lifestyle to hurt themselves, to hurt those around them. They're hurting themselves, and they're blaming God. Right, because that's God's fault. Oh, how about, uh, you know, if God was a loving God, we would not have war. We would not have killing. We would not have nation rising up against nation. And James says, no, no, from whence cometh wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust? You see, because it's man that wants something that they can't have or that something else is, and it's because of man's sinfulness, because of man's choices, and they blame God. And something happens in your life and something's taken away from you and a person will blame God. You remember when Job was, was uh, smitten by Satan, he didn't know what was going on. Sword royals lost his children, lost everything. His, his uh, livelihood, his finances, his wealth, his family, everything was gone and then he lost his health and his wife comes along and says, why don't you just curse God and die because it's God's fault. God's not after you. He, he doesn't love you. Oh no. Job understood. He says, you speak like a foolish woman. Shall we take good at the hand of God and not evil? And all this, the Bible says, Job sinned not with his lips. He understood, he understood something. No, no, no. God's in my corner. God does love me. I might misinterpret sometimes, but God does. Hey, listen, friend. You know something? Jesus loves you. That's what the Bible says. We're talking about what God's heart is to you. Listen, it's to you, not just the children of Israel. I have thoughts of peace and not of evil towards you. That's what God says to you. I love you, and I want you to, I, I've got blessing for you to come to. At the end, I, I want you to enjoy, and that's what God's heart is to you. Folks, God's intention is for our good. You gotta understand that. And the battle today is Satan saying the very same thing from the start that God's not really in your corner. That, you know, God doesn't know what you're going through because if he did, then it wouldn't be that way. No, 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 no. <clears throat> what does he say? I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts 
of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God's intention is for our good. Number two, God's goodness is connected to our repentance. Look at verse number 11, Jeremiah 29, verse number 11. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. This is what he wants to do. This is what he has for us. And he says, Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. This is when you begin to agree with him. When you begin to, to realize, yeah, that's the way it is. That is the, the truth. He says, you pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. So, so he says, listen, when you come to repentance, when you come to understand the score, when you understand, no, no, God has good for you. We've chosen to go, uh, to, uh, go contrary to him. We've chosen to, to rebel against God. We've chosen to do the harmful things. No, God wants the good for us. And yeah, you know, sometimes we, we want to just go on and, and disregard what God says. And when he's warning us, no, it's a freight train. Get out of the way. And we decide, no, we're not going to. We're just going to rebel. And then we get, we get trampled. And then we get mad at God. No, you've got to repent of your position. You've got to repent of your pride. You have to come to agree with God with your, about your condition. God's goodness is connected to our repentance. Why is this so hard for us to understand? There are people that want God's goodness, but they don't want to repent. They don't want to admit. They don't want to say, okay, God's right, and I'm, I'm in need. That's what you've got to come to. If you don't, you don't come to, to repentance, you don't get the goodness of God. God's goodness is connected to our repentance. Number three, God's goal, of course, is peace and communion and discovery. We, we find God. We walk with him. Verse number 11, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, uh, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And shall seek me, and shall find me. You'll, you'll find me, because there's peace, and there's, there's communion, and discovery. You find, you, you, you know, folks, it's the greatest thing in the entire universe. When you get connected to your Creator. The one who, who made you, the one who understands all things, the one who has designs for it, and you, and you connect with the Almighty. What a wonderful thing to find God. But the last point I'd like to bring out is <clears throat> in verse number 13. Look at it with me. It says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Partial inquiry is insufficient. Do you hear what I said? When you want to look for God halfway, won't cut it. It will not cut. How many people have you talked to? Oh, yeah, that Christianity stuff. I tried that. It doesn't work. No, 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 no. God says, you'll seek me when you seek for me with all your heart. Then you'll find me. Uh, none of this halfway stuff. Halfway looking yields nothing. He doesn't answer that prayer. He says, when you search for me with all your heart. Listen, when you're serious, when you put your faith and trust totally in God, then he catches you. Then he, he communes with you. Then you find him and then you, you get his goodness. 
but partial inquiry, halfway searching for God is insufficient. So, this is talking about the children of Israel and that kind of situation, but it's about us, okay? What about me? What about you? You must understand that God's intention for you, his purpose, his aim for you is goodness. He wants your prosperity. He wants your goodness. He wants your your peace. He wants pleasantness for you. He wants good things. His character is for you. He's on your side. He is not your enemy. Look at Calvary. That's how you know. God commendeth his love. He showed, he manifested his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He laid down his life on Calvary because he loves us. He's showing his love. He's showing his love for you. That's the only way that you could be redeemed is if he gave his life in your place, if he faced the the condemnation, the judgment of God for you, and that's exactly what what he did, and that shows you his love. Folks, I'm telling you, you look at Calvary and you, you understand God is on your side. He loves you. He's not your enemy. But his goodness can only be realized upon our repentance. Understanding what God is saying about us and about him. Admitting. Admitting our guilt, our sin, our pride, our rebellion. You've got to admit that. You've got to repent. You've got to own your failure and your choice. Fellowship with God awaits. But total engagement is required. Are you ready to look for him with all your heart? Are you ready to, without abandon, you go to him and you, you admit that he's right? You repent of your sin. You see, it's all or nothing. Uh, no halfway effort. Can't do that. You'll not fi- I'll, I'll guarantee you'll not find him that way. All or nothing. Every head bowed. Nobody looking for just a moment. Lord, thank you so much for displaying your love and stating your love, proclaiming your love, your...